right. Good morning once again. Good. Hey, inside your program, you'll find a, an outline to follow along with. Today it says um, <clears throat> Mind Games, How to Develop a Healthy Self-Image. And so today we're going to talk about that. We've been in a series on mind games over the last couple weeks. If you've missed, uh, I think this is the third week, if you've missed any weeks, uh, you can always grab a CD on the way out. And you can always listen online to get, kind of get caught up uh, if you've missed any, all right? So you got your outlines all ready to go? So we got a lot of notes, all right? Today is one of those messages where you guys have to put on your thinking caps. All right, I'll, never mind. That's just... <laughs> so we gotta, we got to follow along. Today's like a bus ride. We're going to get on a bus. We're all going to take a journey together. I came across the title um, of an article. It was kind of caught my attention. It said, Releasing the Elephant in You. I went, well, what is that about? And so I started reading through it. And in it was an article of how they train elephants for circuses and for, for those kinds of events. And uh, it was kind of interesting. And I'm not saying, hey, this is good or this is bad. I'm just going to tell you how they train them. So they take an elephant. And at just a little, little tiny thing. And they put a shackle around its, one of its front legs. And they concrete a pin into the ground. And as the little elephant is pulling and trying to get away, it does two things. One, it trains its mind to believe that it can't. And two, it creates a sore around the leg of the elephant. And what's interesting is, and again, I'm not saying that this is good or bad, all right? So don't, don't write me in. I don't need anybody picketing out front, PETA, or anything like that, all right? So what they, what they learn is, is that as the elephant gets bigger and can be 14 foot tall, can weigh, you know, 15,000 pounds, has the ability to lift or to pull, you know, anywhere from 8 to 12,000 pounds, could easily snap the chain, easily pull the pin out of, the, out of the ground, but as it gets older, it remembers the trauma of not being able to move, and it remembers the pain and the discomfort around its leg from the shackle. And as a result of that, as an adult, they put the shackle on, and it remembers that, and it lives as if it was stuck. And it lives as if it moves around too much that the sore will become worse and discomfort. And so when you go to like a zoo or you go to a, a circus more specifically, although I think that they, they've done away with them, but you go to them and you see a little shackle and they're pinned to the ground. Here's this massive, you know, powerful animal and it just stays there because it believes that it can't move. And in reality, it could break probably the chain, if not pull the pin out of the ground, and certainly could easily kill <laughs> lots of people with its just, it just its force. And so it lives as if it's stuck there. Now, <clears throat> as humans, we do the same thing. When we grow up, we hear stories about ourselves. You're stupid, you're ugly, you're dumb, you're never going to achieve anything. No one likes you. You're unlovable. You're an idiot. We hear those. And if you could imagine, just as the elephant, baby elephant has the shackle, 
there you are in your school playground or high school, whatever the case may be. And every time you hear that, you're reminded of a bad experience from your past. And as a result of it, you live as if it were true. Because someone has told you over and over and over and over again, whatever it is, the negative thing, and you believe that. And whenever that word comes around, just as that little, that, the, the full-grown elephant thinks back to its shackle and its pain, when someone says that word, you have a flashback. And you recall and experience a time in your life where that happens. And what's interesting is, as we move forward in life, even though we may be adults today, things that have happened to us in grade school, or probably even in some cases younger than that, it still has the potential and the power of controlling our lives 30, 40, 50, 60 years later. And it seems crazy. And so the whole article was releasing the elephant in you that each of us have difficult things in our past and it's like a ceiling in our life. And if we're not, if we don't understand who we are in Christ, we just keep bumping that ceiling and we can't live beyond and we can't live the way that God desires for us to live. So in your outline, let's take a look. <clears throat> Strongholds, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. A stronghold is, it means to fortify through an idea, holding safely or a castle. It is, oftentimes it is the lie, right? You're stupid, you're dumb, you're never going to achieve anything, you're never going to make it, you're unlovable, you could never have a successful relationship, you could never be a good mom, a good dad, whatever the case is. It, it is a lie that we believe, and as a result of believing it, it fortifies itself in our mind. And as a result, we live, we make decisions around those strongholds that we have in our life. And we looked at that over the last couple of weeks. I don't want to rehash all of it. You look with me in your outline, in your outline, the enemies you, the enemy, our spiritual enemy, the, uh, Satan, uses this system of thought to establish claims against God's truth that are in our minds. So the enemy will take that, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're not any good, you're unlovable, all those things, and he will take that and he will allow you, right? And he will, he will just let you believe that. And it is contrary to the word of God. It is contrary what God has to say about you and to you. And yet the enemy is going to use that. We looked at that in week two. And so in your outline, the weapons that conquer our mind are not worldly or fleshly. And here's what's interesting. If you grew up and you were told you're stupid, right? You're an idiot. You could never achieve anything. Here's what's interesting. You could have gone to college and got a bachelor's degree. You could have gone to graduate school and got an MBA and something. You could even have a PhD. But you will never educate yourself beyond that lie that has been placed in your head that you're stupid. It's why oftentimes in, in um, relationships where somebody is in a dysfunctional, abusive relationship, You'll scratch your head and you go, you know, she's got a master's degree. What is she doing in that thing? A secular education will not overcome it. And I'm not against secular education. But it will not, you cannot educate yourself beyond those strongholds in your life from a secular standpoint. And so we looked at that you need something greater than that. And that is the weapons that conquer your mind have divine or godly power. 
And it is God's, God's word in your life that smashes those strongholds that oftentimes we believe about who we are. All right? And so you can educate yourself from a secular standpoint, and that's wonderful, and you need to do that. But you're never going to educate yourself beyond the strongholds that you have in your life from a secular standpoint. It takes something far bigger than that, and it takes God's power and God's word in your life to bust it out. Okay? So look with me in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 31, here's what it says. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold, and circle the word hold, okay? That, that word hold means to stay, it means to allow to wash over, all right? So he says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to what Jesus is saying to you, you are really my disciples, verse 32, then, circle the word then, we're going to come back to that. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All right? So, so holding on to what Jesus says to us is the key part of verse 32. That's the then, right? The then is connected to the holding on to not what your neighbor says about you, not what your, your ex says about you, not what your father or your mother says about you, but what Jesus says about you. When you hold on to what he says about you, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and what will the truth do? Set you free, right? There will be no lid where you keep bumping into because you will begin to see who you are in Christ. You will begin to embrace who you are in Christ. See, oftentimes in our life, we believe what other people say about us. But we never believe what Christ says about us. In fact, today, we're going to read what Paul says to the church, and every one of us is going to want to push back, and you're going to say, no, 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 that doesn't apply to me. And yet it will. But we're more interested and more willing to listen to someone say, you're stupid, and believe it, than to allow Christ to speak into our life. So Paul's going to tell us this, and this is a kind of a two-week series, today and tomorrow. Today and tomorrow. You could show up tomorrow. It's written. It's in my office. You could have a, a special preview. We'll have a red carpet, popcorn. It'll be great. Next Sunday. <clears throat> so Paul's going to tell us, you're in Christ. He's going to tell us how we got into Christ. And he's going to tell us how to live because we are in Christ. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and click over there and let's see what it, look, here's what Paul says to the church. Paul, an apostle of Christ, <clears throat> by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ, verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, verse 4. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with the play, uh, his pleasure and will. Verse 6, to the praise and his gl uh, glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Number one. 
Okay, number one. The key to a positive self-image is understanding or knowing who we are in Christ. Okay, who we are in Christ. So pay attention. You got to go on a little bus ride with me. It's going to take a little while to develop it, but you'll get there. Number two, God does not work from the outside in. God does not modify our behavior in order to change us. God changes our thinking in order to modify our behavior. Okay? Take that in. So God does not change us from the outside in. If you have a well that's polluted, painting the pump is not going to make it clear. All right? So he does not change us from the outside in. God does not modify our behavior in order to change you. God changes our thinking in order to modify our behavior. Thinking, feeling, action. Thinking, feeling, behavior. Okay? We tracking okay? Tracking all right? All right. So Jesus says to the Jews who believe, if you hold, if you hang on to, if you allow what I have to say about you and to you, if you allow it to wash over you, he says, then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. All right? So what is truth and what is the freedom that we're seeing? Number three, it is truth that sets you free. What is truth? Truth is what God says to you. Okay? It is what God says about you and to you. And so it's so important that we understand that. In 1960, there was a book written when plastic surgery really kind of started taking off. And they recognized that there was a problem that many of the folks who had some type of disfigurement would go through. Although plastic surgery was making the outward appearance different in repairing and fixing and rebuilding things for victims of fires and so forth, internally, the person still did not feel like they were fixed. They would look in the mirror and the repair from the surgeons were, was wonderful and it was from an outside, it looked fine, but internally, they still believed that they were disfigured. And so they came up with this idea that, that, that the exterior really didn't impact the interior. They had not embraced the changes on the outside, right? And as believers, this is why it's so important that we grab a hold of it. It is not what others say about us. Because that's when we look in the mirror and we don't like who we are. We don't like things about our life. We don't think that we can succeed. We could never go to college and, and graduate. We could never get a promotion. We could never in, enter into a relationship with somebody and have it healthy. Because all along, we've been told, you can't. It's not possible. You're not this and you're not that. And you begin to believe it. And you... Look at yourself in the mirror, and externally, you look wonderful, but internally, you're wrestling with it. You're struggling with it. And so it's so important that we begin to embrace 
what God has to say about us and to us, who we are in him. It doesn't matter what others say about us. What matters is what God has to say about us. So let's take a look what he has to say. And here's the big pushback. The big idea for today, we'll have two for next week. You need to recognize your righteousness in Christ. And everyone's going to say, I'm not righteous. And that's what you believe. And that belief impacts how you live. So here's what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, to the, to the, which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, so here's what he says. He has two sides to that verse. One is God's view of the church, the believers in Jesus Christ, you are saints. Okay, and we'll get into it because you're going to say, I don't feel like one. I know. Okay, the second part of that verse is he says to the faithful in Christ. One is God's view to us. God looks at us as saints. The second part of that verse is, is Paul saying to the faithful. He's talking from a man's perspective. To those who are faithful followers of Christ. All right. But in God's perspective, he looks at us and he sees us as saints. Now, what is a saint in your outline? Number four, the word saint means a sanctified one, one that God has made righteous, right? Not you have made righteous, but that God has made righteous and set aside for himself. All right. We are saints, right? You're like, well, how come you don't have one of those hats on and all that kind of stuff? We're not talking like that. All right. But we as believers in Jesus Christ, we are saints. We have been set apart. We have been set apart for his glory. And we are to live that way. We are not to live how other people tell us and what they say about us. But we are to believe that we are to believe and accept what God says to us. Right. Not what others say to us. We, we already know what they say to us. We already went through all of them. We don't need to keep pounding it over. And so, so here's what we say. Well, we say, well, I don't know. That sounds like I'm full of myself. You know, I, I'm humble. I don't want to embrace that. You're not saying you're a saint. God's saying you're a saint. So, so to be, quote, humble and push back and say, well, oh, no, no, that doesn't apply to me. You're being rebellious to what God says to you. In fact, you are, as crazy as it sounds, you are embracing what the kid in the schoolyard says about you, and you're discounting what God says about you. You're a saint. Gets worse. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be, to be, and, and then here's the key part. In his sight. Not your sight. Not your spouse's sight. In God's sight, he sees you as holy and he sees you as blameless. All right? So it's not what, it's not what everyone else says and everyone sees in you. It's how God sees you. 
we're not talking about practice of what we're doing in our life in the sense of activity and behavior. We're talking about our position of who we are in Christ. In Christ, we are saints. In Christ, we are holy. In Christ, we are blameless. Look with me what blameless means. Blameless literally means without blemish or spot. Okay? In fact, Peter says of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he says, but the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without and or, I should say, not and or, right? So here's what Peter's saying, okay? Peter's saying Jesus is without blemish or defect. We are in Christ, therefore our holiness, our sainthood, if you will, and our blamelessness does not come from us. Comes from him because we are placed in him. So we're not talking about behavior. We have all missed the mark. Would you agree with that? Okay. We've all missed the mark. But our position in Christ is that we are blameless. We are holy. We are saints according to not our practice, but our position in him. All right, let's keep going. Romans chapter 4, verse uh, 4, says this. Now to the one who works, his wages is not credited as favor, but as what is due. Let me just stop right there. What in earth does that mean? That means that the person who tries to earn God's favor and tries to do good works, it is not credited to you as righteousness. It's simply good deeds that you're doing. That's it. You could never earn your way to salvation. You could never earn and do enough good deeds for God to look to you based on your deeds and say, you're in because you're good. None of us are good. None of us. And so verse 4 says, you can work all you want, but it's never going to, you're never going to get to a place of earning your salvation because if you did, God would be indebted to you, not you indebted to him. Verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but, what's the word? Believes in him, who justifies the, that's us, his faith is credited as righteousness. So the guy who works for salvation is not going to do it, never going to make it. The one who believes in the one whom justifies us, it is accredited to him righteousness. Verse 6 goes on. Just as David also speaks, of the blessings on the man whom God credits righteousness apart from works, right? So so this person doesn't work his way to salvation. This, This person simply believes that Jesus is the Christ and that he is justified because he believes that Jesus is the Christ. And that and that his his ungodliness or sinfulness is wiped away, and it is a credit to him 
as righteousness, number six in your outline. The word credit means to put on your account. So could you imagine, you have an ATM, right? You know what one of those are, right? So from a righteous standpoint, here's what that verse is saying. That every day that we wake up, God in his mercy and his grace, because we trust him and we have faith that Jesus is the Messiah, puts on our account righteousness. You don't put it on there. In fact, you're broke. You say, I know. But on your account, every day is placed the righteousness of Christ on your account. You are righteous not because of your behavior, but because of your position in Christ. Okay, You are righteous because of that. Number seven. The Bible does not, uh, the Bible, uh, let's see, the Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not by works or not of works. And when I trust Christ, the moment I trust Christ, the moment I give my heart to Jesus Christ, at that moment, I become a saint and I am righteous. It's been placed on your account. You are a saint. You are holy. You are blameless. Righteousness of Christ has been put on your account. And you say, well, Dan, I don't feel that way. I know. And that's the problem. Because we've allowed other things to come in and we act on them. You're stupid, you're dumb, you're worthless, you're whatever. And we embrace that. But then when we look into God's word and God says, hey, you're blameless, you're a saint, you're holy, you're righteous. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not that. And so we are more willing to believe the put downs that the world has to give us than the truth that God wants to speak into our life. And what will set you free? What will set you free? The truth. The elephant believes that it can't break loose. The elephant remembers the discomfort as a little as a little elephant pulling and pulling and pulling and it creating a sore on its leg. And we do the same thing. And when someone says, hey, you're righteous, you're a saint. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I mean, I got I got struggles. And the answer is, you're right. He's not talking about your practice. He's talking about your position. You are a saint. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Well, what if I make mistakes and what if I sin? Well, let's let's keep looking. Verse 7. Blessed are those who lawless deeds, that's sinful deeds. And let me just kind of say this because a lot of times people struggle with. The, the word sin is an archery term. You know, archery, bow and arrow. Sin means that you miss the mark. That's what it means. Okay? So you, you know, you shoot a bow, there's a target, you pull the bow back, you shoot it, you miss the bullseye. In most of our cases, we miss the target, right? And it dies about 40 feet before the target. You've sinned. That's what that means. When, when God is the target and the holiness of God is the target, we've all missed the mark. 
Do you agree with that? But we've all missed the mark, right? And, and so what about those who missed the mark? Blessed are those who missed the mark, right? Their lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. You go, well, that's great. That's the past. What about the future? Verse 8, blessed, uh, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That is the mistakes, missing the mark today and tomorrow. What's it say? He says he's not going to take it into account. So not only are your past sins forgiven, but your current ones and your future ones are forgiven. Because, not that you earned it, not because you're living a perfect life, not because you've not made any mistakes, but because the righteousness of Christ is imputed or placed on us. And when God sees us, and this is what Paul's saying to the church, when God sees the body of Christ, he sees saints, he sees holy, blameless, righteous people. Because he sees Jesus, and Jesus intercepts our screw-ups. Okay, now you kind of go, well, what, what, what's the significance of it? Number eight, why do we need to understand it? What's the big deal? Just tell us we're forgiven, Pastor Dan, and send us home. Because until you see who you are, you're not going to think of yourself like you should. And therefore, not behave like you ought to behave. Let me ask, be honest, and we're going to wrap this thing up. How many of you need more patience in your life? Come on, show your hands. Okay. How many of you need more self-control in your life? Okay. How many of you have times in your life where you pray, Lord, I want to have more faith in my life? Okay. How many of you in your life, you, you want to have more commitment to Christ in your life? Okay. You want to know why we all raised our hands? Because we don't know who we are in Christ. Do you recognize, and we'll see this next week, you recognize that you read in Ephesians chapter 1 that every blessing in the heavenly realms has been given to you. But you don't live that way. You want to know why? Because you don't believe that it has been given to you. Therefore, you don't live that way. You believe that you're shackled to a pin and it's around your leg, and every time you pull against it, it brings back bad memories, it brings back bad experiences, and that is your ceiling. And until you know the truth, what God says about you and to you and who you are in him, you will have a ceiling and you'll never reach the potential that God has in store for you. And so is it important to understand who we are in Christ? Absolutely. Otherwise, we will sell ourselves short of what God desires for us. Next week, we're going to look at the resources that are ours as believers in Jesus Christ and how he desires for us to tap into and use them in our life. But until you pause and embrace what God says about you, 
and to you, you will never experience the fullness of him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the very first thing is, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Maybe you just recognize that you've been trusting in your good deeds. And that is not what gets you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What gets you into a relationship with Jesus Christ is recognizing him as King of kings and Lord of lords and inviting him or having faith in him. All of us have missed the mark. We are all what we call sinners. We've all missed the mark. And we need a Savior in our life. And so if you sit here today and you think, you know what, maybe I've been working my way to God and I need to place my faith in Him, I'm going to say a little prayer and I just want you silently to repeat after me. If your heart's desire is to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, just repeat after me silently. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I've missed the mark that I have sinned. And today I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And today I place my faith in him. I confess him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for giving me a new start, a new beginning a new life. In Jesus' name I pray with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, I